0: and welcome to episode 192 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the writer and film director Andrew Dominic. You'll know Andrew's work for producing one of the best films for me while growing up. At uni I had the poster on the wall and I absolutely love Eric Banner's performance from start to finish. Yes we get to talk all about Chopper Not only that, one of the best westerns out there, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. One of the best performances you'll ever see from Brad Pitt in that film, and Sam Rockwell. It's an absolute masterpiece. We also get to talk about One More Time With Feeling. Yes, an absolutely amazing documentary that follows the incredible mind of Nick Cave. And also we get to talk about what it was like to direct along the mastermind himself, David Fincher, on the amazing TV series Mindhunter and so much more, so stick around because that will be coming up in just a couple of minutes' time. But, in true typical Mark and Me fashion, I always like to use the intro of every episode to touch base and talk about the last episode. On episode 191, I was joined by the amazing director, Blurta Pashuri. We got to sit down and talk all about her debut film, Hive. I just want to say a massive thank you for Blurta for sharing it across all the social media networks and everyone that took the time to listen at home. It was a great response and thanks so much to everyone that listened. But today is a big episode. Andrew Dominic, an amazing director, an amazing writer, an amazing interview. I won't lie, this interview takes a while to get warmed up. It wasn't my easiest, but I like to be challenged and by the end, I am having the best time of my life. And that's what I like to do. It can't always be easy from the moment to start talking. So I think the best thing to do is to get straight to it. So here's me and Andrew talking all things film. So, Andrew, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Mark.
0: What I want to do today is take it right back to your early days, maybe when you were growing up. I want to know what were the first films that you fell in love with that made you kind of fall in love with cinema? Uh,
1: the first movie I ever saw was Planet of the Apes. Nice. Uh, I mean, sorry. First, no, no. first movie I ever saw was, um, it had monkeys, flying monkeys in it. It was The Wizard of Oz. Oh, Okay. Know, when I was a little, little little kid, seeing that in a big movie theatre, and boy, that was like, the apes were scary. And then I was into Planet of the Apes later. I loved Planet of the Apes. You know, when I was like nine or seven or whatever I was. Uh, what else did I like? Star Wars, obviously, came out. Um, and then, you know, when I hit my early teens, I discovered like Kurosawa and uh, Ingmar Bergman. So there was a whole, like, oh, okay, there's a whole another side of films that are good, you know. And then, I don't know, Raging Bull. Raging Bull was the one that was just like, oh, I remember seeing Apocalypse Now when I was, like, 14. And just thinking, wow, it been so deep, you
0: know. Is that the point in your life when you remember seeing this and thinking, I want to know how this is all done? I want to be behind the camera and see how they made this happen. Oh.
1: No, no, I mean, also, I, I, wanted, I started making films when I was very young. Like, I wanted to be a filmmaker from when I was 11, you know, and I started out making animation, like fast-to- scene animation, like I think a lot of people do, you know, because it's just you and a camera. But no, I wanted to be a filmmaker from when I was a child, and, and I don't know why. It just seems like I was fascinated by it, you know.
0: So when did it become a reality? Because everyone has these dreams when they're growing up of either becoming famous, either a sportsman or a musician or a film star. At what point was it that you really thought to yourself, this could be more than just a dream?
1: Uh, Well, I went straight from high school to film school. Yeah. So I started at the top. (laughs) I've never had any other job but directing. I made short films at film school. You know, I was like, I don't know, 17 or 18 or whatever I was when I went to film school um 18 probably um and then when i left film school i was making music videos and stuff like that so uh, i was you know lucky i guess you know what i mean and
0: and did you have the full Um, backing from your family and support from your friends or were they all kind of thinking this is a risk no no no. god
1: no 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 no, no. but you know like i had such a bad relationship with my family that it didn't even matter what they thought about anything you know what i mean yeah so it, it, I wasn't like one of these, you know, people coming from a kind of conservative background where they wanted you to get a real job and, you know, they barely noticed me, mate. So, um, you know, I had, I had a certain freedom and I never considered doing anything else. I mean, if I hadn't gotten into film school, I guess I would have had to, like, I probably would have tried to become a fine artist or something like that. I don't know what I would have done, mate.
0: But were you not know, giving it I the second it. thought? Were you kind of just thinking to yourself, I'm so determined, all I'm going to do is be a fucking director, and this is not, that's all I'm going to do. Like, there's no option. I'm not going to go and work in a shop. I'm not going to be a barman. I'm going to do this.
1: No, I mean, I never did that. I yeah. mean, I had two jobs when I was growing up. I, I worked in an usher in the cinema for one night. <laughs> what <and> night? <laughs> I, and, and, well, because I realized I was going to have to keep watching Crocodile Dundee too. Yeah, you know there's only I mean? so many times you can and, watch that. And I, uh, dude, once was enough. Right, so uh, I I quit. Then I had uh, a job demolishing a house, right, as a cottage contractor, where you demolish a house, right. That takes half a day, and it was really fun. And then in the next week, you cut the whole thing off. Yeah, and that was like, yeah, I'm not doing this shit, mate.
0: So you started out doing yeah. music videos as well, didn't you? One of your most famous works yeah. was for Crowded House. Yeah. Now, was that giving you a taste of how you could direct and try different things then to pull it all together and compose something together?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were really fun. You just tried ideas. You know what I mean? Crazy ideas.
0: It seems like sure a lost band. art now, doesn't it, a music video? I remember really good music videos from bands like Nirvana and Smashing and Pumpkins and Green Day and all this, and now it just seems no one really wants to make these short films into music videos anymore. It just kind of seems just film the band, and there's not. There's kind of been a, a bit of a lost art to the music video now.
1: I don't know. I saw a good one for FKA Twigs, Sad Day, or whatever it's called, because she gets cut in half for the samurai sword. That okay, that's cool. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I love Doja Cat videos, but that's, that's because I love Doja Cat. Yeah. Um but uh actually my favorite music videos are actually the ones that are just the band. You like that? Um fuck yeah, mate, if it's a good band. You know what I mean? Like if if the singer can like do something for you.
0: Put on a show.
1: It's to make you feel something.
0: And obviously at the moment yeah. you're promoting uh Chopper and it'd be criminal not to mention this film, but you must still totally. look back you must look back 20 years later and still be so proud of this piece of work because it's an iconic masterpiece that even now that performance from eric banner stays with me forever
1: oh well th- you've been very sweet
0: i truly mean it it's it's and, a uh, film i watched at university yeah. 20 years ago and it's 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 genuinely a masterpiece it's fucking incredible there's a reason why it's got that cult status and people still go back and watch it yeah right
1: right right um well yeah look i'm glad you like it mate i thought it was good at the time it was my first film it worked out well uh you know i mean a lot a lot went into it you know what i mean like i it uh, it took seven years from when we got the rights to when the film was shot um so i spent a lot of time thinking about him uh and a lot of time working on it working on what the film should be and it became its own thing you know um, it became its own animal, and maybe that's the reason why it stands. It stood the test of time because it's an unusual film, it is, you know, and it's based on uh, an attempt to really understand reality, you know? the reality of a person's situation, you know, emotionally speaking.
0: And being um, and being behind that camera and directing Eric Banner, like, can you? It must be really difficult because it's you, but I I couldn't even imagine being inside your head for those moments, seeing that performance, seeing how hardcore he is and how fucked up he is. It's a performance that I've never seen him ever do anything like it ever since.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the thing about Eric is, um, and and I actually think most great performances uh, that actors do are based on someone they know. You know what I mean? Whether it's someone we know they know, or whether it's their aunt or their uncle or somebody that they, they get a sense of, like, who that person could be. And by the, by, the, by the fact of becoming somebody else, it gives them a kind of freedom, which they don't have in the same way if they're playing themselves, you know, which some actors do, you know. I mean, everyone does. I mean, it's always an aspect of you somehow. And, and I think Eric's very good at that. I don't know if he's done so much of that in his latter career. You know what I mean? I don't think he's necessarily sought people out and and sort of based himself on someone else. I think he's just acted, you
0: know. Um, After that film was wrapped up and it was all done, what was the kind of biggest learning curve you took then with you to your next project? Because that's a hell of a a big debut for yourself, isn't it? That, you know, leaves a stand out there. You must have felt pressure then, like, how am I going to top this? What am I going to do next that kind of ups my game?
1: Well, I feel like I did <laughs> um, because I thought Jesse James was pretty good.
0: It's fucking brilliant. Brad <laughs> Pitt, Brad Pitt in yeah, that film pretty, pretty is amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: Casey, everyone,
0: mate, everyone.
1: Sam Rockwell and in that. He, movie, he, I've so met man.
0: Sam Rockwell, and he's just a fucking legend. I didn't realize how short he was, but he's yeah. just the nicest guy I've ever met.
1: Yeah, and that he got to play a nice guy. In, yeah, in Jesse which is James. good, and it's so heartbreaking but like an innocent caught up in an assassination between two people he loves. And I don't know, Sammy always wants to play the cheater, you know, like, like Travis Bickle, like if we'd sit around and talk about what, what animal is your character? And Sammy would say, I'm a cheater. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, be, and being um, presented on set, you know, you're sitting there working with these incredible names, Brad Pitt, you know, look, he's an absolute legend for a reason. Did it, feel intimidating or were you just revved up ready to go did you feel confident did you know what you were going to do
1: well i always knew how the scene should be yeah you know what i mean so um and actors are just actors in the end you know like when brad pitt is in front of the camera he's vulnerable mate do you know what i mean and uh uh he wants someone who's watching him you know, he wants someone who's paying attention that's what they all want you know and as soon as they feel like you're paying it that you're actually seeing what they're doing and you're actually able to discern the differences in what they're doing, the, um, they very much become uh, collaborative and they love you, you know? I didn't have a whole lot of trouble. They're just actors, mate, you know?
0: Um, it, it's just difficult because on the outside, you see these people as such a larger-than-life person, you know, he's done some incredible roles like Tyler Durden well, and all these roles. You think to yourself, I couldn't imagine, yeah. are they untouchable? You know, I couldn't imagine telling him to do something differently or do it a different way because I have so much respect for these people, you know?
1: Well it's not Brad Pitt I want, it's Jesse James. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, it's about who Jesse James is. I mean, you know, the first time I met Brad, it's like, it's sort of like going on a date with a girl, you know. Um, you're nervous, you know, and, and he definitely had an aura. He had a kind of uh, force field, um, which is just his, you know. It's either his or it's sort of like the collective unconscious is projecting it at him. Uh, it's hard to work out what's what, but it takes a long time. It took a, a while for for me to get beyond the Brad Pittness of it all, you know. Um, but you do, you know.
0: And how do you break that wall down? Because, like you said, they come with this. It's status. just you.
1: It's just. It's just. No, no. You just got to like, you know, um, get used to it, mate.
0: Do you just allow yourself you know I mean? to like, be yourself and let that be enough that they can see you're genuine and that you are the person you say you are and you're not. You know, I mean, I, I
1: just don't just don't think about it, mate. I mean, th- you don't think about it too much. I mean, the thing is, you're talking about work. Yeah. You know, you talk, you're talking about a film. It's not. It's not like we're getting married or anything like that, or you know what I mean. It's not about being friends. It's about yeah. we're going to work. We're going to work together, and and this is what it's got to be. You know, kind of thing, or this is what we're what we're trying to do, kind of thing. Um, and it's working out what they've got that works for the part and with brad I, I could quickly feel that he's got a kind of congenital sadness you know about him that's the sort of deep deep and ancient feeling like whenever it gets quiet you can feel the sorrow you know and i thought you know jesse james is depressive yeah and it was just about sort of getting him there you know
0: and then when you switch that to doing work on TV, so stuff like Mindhunter, which I thought was a great series, you know, I think it was one of those series I was glued to and I was glad I could watch it and binge it all yeah. in one go. Uh, getting involved yeah. in that, how does that as a change for you? Do you just treat it like a short film? Is that how you look at it instead of, you know, switching it to TV or was it a completely different dynamic to work with?
1: Well, I did it for the same reason that uh, you like it. Do you know what I mean? Like I loved it. I loved the first season and, um, and I knew David a little bit because you know, David's like Brad's director light, director wife. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like Brad's director girlfriend on the side. I'm like his side piece director, but but David's the main one. And so I know David through Brad, and I really like David, and I you know I'm a big fan, and um, uh, and I, I just wanted to do it because I. Uh, because I love the show you know and it's very weird it's like when you go there and you're walking on the sets, you know it's like you're walking around inside your iPad
0: (laughs) I love Uh, the way you're
1: that it's like walking around inside your TV it's really fucking weird yeah Um, working on a show you love and seeing how the sausage is made and then your fingerprints all over the sausage it kind of makes the sausage less good for you do you know what I mean but I'm not sure I'm going to do it again I think I would have enjoyed Mindhunter more if I hadn't directed two episodes in the second season. You know yeah. what I mean? but, but it was a learning curve because it's basically seeing somebody else's process, you know? Yeah. I was curious I was curious to go to see... I mean, I've watched Terry Malik work, and that was amazing, and I've watched David work, and they're about, like, complete polar opposites, you know, in terms of, you know, David's theory is hope is not a strategy. <laughs> David's got everything covered, mate. I mean, that guy is amazing. Yeah. He's an extraordinary human being. He blows my mind. He's on, he's
0: on another level. When I watch his work, I can't get my head around yeah. sometimes. I'm like, how do no, you do no, it? David,
1: you know, if you need to know who's the best sound recordist, if you need to know who's the best plumber, you know what I mean? I mean, David probably knows the best dentist. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, he'll he'll tell you. Who the person is and, and and what buttons to push. Yeah. What's the best way to deal with them? He's unbelievable, dude. And you you watch him set up a, a shoot, you know, like a night shoot, you just watch him run through how the day's gonna work. I mean, he's on everything. Like where are they gonna put the porta potties? You know, like unbelievable dude. Un- unbelievable. It must Nothing be incredible to can.
0: watch him. Yeah, you must be learning so much just watching him.
1: Well, <clears throat> the thing about David though is he gets bored because nothing he does surprises him, you know, um, because it's all worked out before he gets there. And the amount of times he just looks over at you, like when he's shooting something and just rolls his eyes like, fuck, this is boring. <laughs> and I don't think that's a good situation to get no. into as a filmmaker. But, but uh, I, I, I don't know, dude. It's, it's a whole different way of doing things, you know. It's a whole different way. And it works, you know. It works and it's so... It's all about workflow, and he's got his workflow down like you would not believe, you know. David will shoot a scene. He's got a good cut of it within 24 hours. Yeah. When I I learned how to use the continuity person, you know, like the script girl, Um, the way Dave does it is incredible, you know. That person is really working for him. Um, Where I was just ignored them and realized how much they could help me, you know.
0: So that's good. You utilise them moving forward, and that's obviously gained quite a lot for you.
1: No, no. You, you you learn all kinds of things. Yeah, you learn all kinds of things. You know,
0: another piece of work that I'm really impressed with is your documentary with Nick Cave uh, once more with Feeling, and he's yeah. he's an incredible songwriter, performer, musician. But how did it kind of come about? Because obviously, there's so many artists out there. What was it about Nick Cave that got you involved in this? That you know made you want to capture all this? material and put it all together and work with someone who's so established
1: Uh well you know i've known nick for like a long time yeah. I met nick when i was uh i met nick in 86 probably wow. um we were in love with the same girl we both went out with her oh, and uh that's how i know him primarily he was my girlfriend's ex-boyfriend
0: that's amazing um
1: who wrote the record who wrote the record you know that was about her that came out like when i started going out with it Um, he used to call up looking for her and and I would start talking on the phone and we sort of got along on the phone, you know. So, and I'm a fan, like a huge fan. I mean, I think Nick's one of the great songwriters of, you know, one of the great songwriters. Certainly he has been in my life. So, uh, you know, we worked together a little bit and then um, uh, when Arthur died, Nick asked me to make a film because he didn't want to have to do press um, to promote the record that he was trying to finish. I mean, he, he, he was not in a good way. He was a mess. And um, and I wanted to help, you know, just on, on a basic sort of human level. Yeah. Uh, so I said yes, you know. And it was incredible experience because it was the first time I've made a film where the film just didn't even fucking count. I mean, it was like, it was the secondary thing that was happening the first thing was them trying to finish the record that was the main creative endeavor that was going on and i was just like a, a fly on the wall with 3d you know in the corner that was sort of irritating even you know um and i knew and i had no way to plan what i was doing we just like winged it for 10 days you know and i just had to develop shit based on instinct you know so I didn't even know if it was going to work and then it worked great and that's the thing, like, David Fincher um, doesn't get to do that. You know, like, I kept saying to David, you've got to, like, put yourself in a situation where you don't know what you're doing, you know, because it's another way of doing it, you know, and was exhilarating. I mean, I come from the same idea of, like, let's storyboard everything. Let's not leave anything to chance, you know. Let's be in complete control of what we're doing here. You know, and then you find yourself in a situation where you have no control and all you're doing is trying to capture what's going on or you're creating situations where something can happen on the fly that you can capture. You know? um, and that was exhilarating. You know? um, and I did that just before. i um, That was the last thing I did before Mindhunter. So in a way, Mindhunter was like um, returning to a way of working You know, um, but, but I think that, I mean, I think the thing about filmmaking is the, the thing to do is to, is to keep trying different ways of doing it, you know, um, to try and do different things and to try and do it differently, you know, so you can learn, you can discover things, you know, about it, um, about what, what it is, you know, what filmmaking can be, um, Otherwise, you're just going to get real bored, you know.
0: I think people should be out of their comfort zone as well and challenge themselves. You said, David, you know, he likes to be, everything's already lined up, everything can go well. He looks at you and rolls his eyes because he's kind of...
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit. I like, know, but yeah. in the middle yeah. of the second season of, of, um, of of you know, Mindhunter, which he's already done one season. But, you know, like the guy is obviously trying different shit all the time. Um uh, it's just I, I think so much of what we do is just an extension of who we are you know of how of um, you know how we're built psychologically uh, what you know what, what circumstances make us feel safe I mean I think the thing about filmmaking is it's it's scary there's a lot of money on the line you know yeah. Um. Uh, and you know David's a real filmmaker he makes films that people want to see you know I'm like a fringe character that is lucky to even get to make another movie you know because um, the movies are so fucking weird you know
0: so, so on that what's coming up for you next what, what's kind of the next couple of years looking like if you go on IMDB it says stuff like I think there's something on there I think I, Blonde or something it, it doesn't have much information yeah. or details but what, what, what have you kind of got in your head for the next couple of years
1: when does Chopper come out again like May 25th yeah. No, March March. March twenty fifth. Yeah. Was that, that when it is? Okay, then there's another Nick Cave documentary that I've done, which is sort of like five years later, What Has He Learned? Concert nice. film. That so that's coming out on May eleventh. And then later in the year Blonde is coming out, which is my Marilyn Monroe movie that I've been trying to make for fourteen years. Wow. And it's a knockout. Um,
0: a busy year had then, mate.
1: Yeah. I mean Yeah, maybe.
0: <laughs> Maybe you've got three releases coming out in less than nine months.
1: Yeah, no, no, it's, it's not normal for me. But, um, but you know, we'll, we'll see how they do when they come out, eh?
0: Nick Caveman, you've um, got to give him my details. I want him on the podcast. I want to get into that head of his. He
1: does. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to happen.
0: I know he doesn't do anything, he does doesn't,
1: he? He doesn't. He doesn't do interviews. Well, he's done. Um, he's just written a book called Faith, Hope, and Carnage, which is basically a series of uh, interviews that he did with Sean O'Hagan from, uh, is he from the Guardian, Sean O'Hagan?
0: Rings a bell. I
1: don't know. He said, yeah, he's a a journalist, but in COVID, they started, uh, Sean O'Hagan started interviewing him and it went on and on and on and on and on. And and it's a book, um, which I'm sure will give you some sort of, you know, uh, insight into the inside of Nick's head. But or you can
0: just read the red hand part, mate there
1: you go so
0: what I do on this podcast dude is I ask the whoever it is it can be an actor director musician they get to choose the final piece of music that's played on the podcast so each and every episode the guest chooses the outro music so after today's interview is all edited wrapped up and released what would you love and what's a song that means a lot to you that we put on the end that celebrates this episode between me and you
1: ooh that's, um, okay. Gloomy Sunday by Dear Monday Gala.
0: Well, I've one? never heard it, so I'm looking forward to this one.
1: You, you know, you know, Dear Monday?
0: Yes, but I've not heard that track.
1: It's, uh, Gloomy Sunday, dude. It's got to be, I think it's live. It's on a record called live one, right? Yeah, have a look. Amazing, dude. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing.
0: I love it when people come on and give me a song I've never heard because then I can go and listen to everything okay. and be like, oh, fucking hell.
1: Well, it's just this one song. That's all I'm recommending at this point.
0: I will give it a go. I've gone over. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. And okay. good good luck with the rest of the press, dude. Okay. Take care, man. Uh, all
1: right, mate. Bye.
0: Have a good day. So there it is. There's my interview with me and the director, Andrew Dominic. It was such a pleasure to sit down and talk about one of my favourite films, Chopper. And if you're listening to this right now and you've never seen the film, please do everything you can to see it. It is being re-released for its anniversary and you need to see it on the big screen, or Blu-ray, or 4K, or DVD, or wherever you can see it. It's one of Eric Banner's finest ever performances and it's just an absolute masterpiece from start to finish. That, as I said at the start, wasn't my easiest interview. And do you know what? I'm not gonna hide behind and say, oh yeah, it was fine. It took a long time to get warmed up. It took a long time to kind of earn each other's trust. But by about 10, 15 minutes into the interview, it felt normal and like a traditional Mark and me episode. And that's what is a real reward. Sometimes you get guests that you can just hit it off with straight away. Sometimes it takes a while to warm up or someone to lower their guard. But hey, the result there was brilliant in the end. I want to say a massive thank you for Andrew for coming on the show. It was a pleasure to have you on and hopefully we can meet again and talk in more detail in the very near future. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please go on markandme.com. On my website, I have links to my Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. All I ask that after you've listened to this episode, which will be free and will always remain free, is to share it. Hit on that Facebook button and just hit share. Go on to Twitter and hit retweet. Go on to Instagram and post it on your stories. Honestly, it makes a massive difference and I see more and more listeners every single week doing it and my numbers go up and up. It's a free marketing tool and it's a huge, huge help. So if you enjoyed today's episode, go on. Hit that retweet button or share. It makes a massive difference. And if you really enjoyed today's episode, please go on to my Patreon page. The link is on markandme.com. For as little as 99p, that's all I ask, a month, you're guaranteed a minimum of 8 episodes. Starting in April, you're also going to get a guaranteed 1 episode per month which is exclusive to Patrons which the general public won't have access to. You get a badge when you sign up, you get a welcome letter, you get updates, you get updates before anybody else and so much more. And thanks to the amazing guys at Richer Sounds, they give me amazing prizes every single month for saying thank you for supporting me. This month I have a Sonos soundbar which is absolutely unbelievable and each and every month the prizes will get bigger and better so a massive thanks to those guys for supporting me and helping me along the way. I'll be back in only a few days time with a brand new episode so until then please look after yourself, take care and I'll speak to you all very soon.
1: This next song was sung by Billie Holiday, called "Gloomy Sunday." Um, when she first recorded it on the radio, there was a uh, protest from the record company because it was um, it was too pessimistic and depressing. Therefore, they had her change the ending to make it more optimistic and hopeful and at that moment was born the first pop music i don't do it that way of course <laughs> Some I waited and waited when...
0: beat of my heart
1: was a bell that was turning saddest of the sun.
0: There, and the flowers were
1: forever above me. The bell tolled for me, and the wind whisper never. But you, I have loved.